1: Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 46. And as always, I hope everyone remains safe and healthy out there. It's the dog days of summer here at So Much Pingle World Headquarters, and uh, the afternoons have been plenty hot and humid. Uh, My flower garden still looks pretty good, but the tomato plants are scraggly and tired. Uh, But in my general area, it's also the time when Female copperheads and rattlesnakes are close to giving birth, and I got to see a couple of gravid timber rattlesnakes last weekend uh, while out with some friends, and the snakes looked ready to pop, and I expect they will do so in just a few short weeks. So. And of course, when gravid snakes are encountered, I prefer just to hang back and observe them without any real disturbance, just to let them do their thing, and uh, of course, I'm grateful just to see them. Now, before we get to our episode, I want to give a shout out to the show's latest Patreon member, Benjamin Jenter. Thank you so much, Ben, for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, I have to say it was great to hang out uh, with you and get to know you a little bit on a recent outing. And, uh, and folks, if you're out there listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks to help keep the show rolling, uh, the outro and the show notes all have all the information you need to make a contribution. Oh, I want to thank all the folks who provided some feedback on the last episode, which was another Origin Stories show. Uh, That seems to be a popular format, so I am planning on producing some more of those in the future as we go along. And so that's the power of feedback right there. So let's get to this week's episode. Joe Ehrenberger and I have been friends for quite a while, and we've shared some cool adventures over the years, including trips to Mexico and Cuba And uh, Joe and his wife, Kelly, are new parents to a little cutie bug named Emma, and uh, they are quite busy, as you might imagine. And uh, so I was happy to get a little chunk of time with Joe for this interview. Now, Joe has an environmental consulting agency out in the Denver area, and we talked about some of the projects the company is involved with, including one in particular. And there is a bonus guest appearance by Matt Cage, longtime friend of the show and my Peruvian herping buddy. And Matt works with Joe doing some venomous snake training modules, and so we're getting two perspectives on that important work. Uh, So let's get to my conversation with Joe and Matt. I just want to grab a little bit of that background noise, and then I filter it out. Okay. Okay. Well, hi, folks. Um, Once again, I am speaking to you from a hotel room. This seems to be my destiny in life. Uh, to sit in a hotel room somewhere and uh, talk to some people about some interesting things. Uh, So today, I am in downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, I'm on the 29th floor of the JW Marriott. And I'm speaking tonight with Joe Ehrenberger of Adaptation Environmental, which is his uh, environmental consulting company. And uh, we're also going to be talking to Matt Cage tonight, uh, who's uh, got something to, to add to this uh, discussion as well. Uh, so it is just after midnight. It's actually uh, Friday morning, and uh, we just went to a local restaurant and had a large late dinner. I have never eaten a. a steak dinner at 11 o'clock at night before so uh so it's a good time to stay up and uh and get some talking and maybe work off some of this uh this big meal that we have so anyway welcome to the show joe
0: yeah thanks mike thanks for having us
1: good and uh you and i are you're you're not here for any particular reason uh connected with your work uh uh, we're here, we're here to hang out, uh, and do some other things, but, uh, it's also a good time for us to get together and talk about, uh, what it is you do. And some very interesting, uh, uh, things that adaptation environmental does. And by extension, you and, and your, your, uh, the folks that work for you. Uh, but first I want to give a little background, uh, Joe, you, you, uh, we're Indian, Indianapolis and, uh, Way back in the day, you actually uh, worked here in Indianapolis, and, and uh, where did you work?
0: Yeah, I, uh, my career got started at Indianapolis Zoo, and uh, just just across the White River from where we're sitting right now, and um, very fortunate to have gotten my start there. I originally started as a volunteer, and I left as a senior zookeeper when I, when I decided to attend grad school. Wow. So how long did you work there? So I worked uh, from, uh, for about almost five years, from 2000 to 2005, um, and I really had a positive time at Indianapolis Zoo, and it influenced me to, to do more. And so I went to grad school afterwards at Indiana State University over in Terre Haute.
1: Okay, very good. Yeah, And so there's so many different, probably so many different aspects of your zookeeping experience that might translate to what we're going to be talking about this evening.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, a lot of that for particularly young biologists, early career biologists that maybe have trouble deciding what path they want to take. Mine was the same. And um, I didn't know if I wanted to go work with tigers or if I wanted to go work with with lizards and and trying to figure all that out. And when I figured that out during my volunteer experience, I, I was able to work with both, but work more heavily with with reptiles, which really carved out my path. And, and certainly with a, um, an extensive amount of snake training, which certainly leads to something I still do today.
1: Very good. And, you know, while tigers may be the, uh, the charismatic form. Um, they are fun lizards
0: yeah. i mean yeah we got lizards. to work with some really rare iguanas yeah uh, here at indianapolis and and that led me to my first international trip to dominican republic um to look at ricord's iguanas and um and the rhinoceros iguanas so uh cyclora ricordii and cyclora cornutum and oh, cool. um and so we did transect surveys on a small island near Haiti uh named Isla Cabritos and um spent about 10 days out there uh recording all all that we saw and then a couple years later I went to Grand Cayman and worked with blue iguanas on Grand Cayman and built um the captive rearing um facilities at their at their Uh, center there and uh, that you know those acts of conservation really really played a large role in what I do now. Yeah it's very interesting because
1: uh, a lot of folks who uh, don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes at zoos uh, there's a lot of research and a lot of conservation work these days and uh, a lot of uh, I would call it high-powered field work uh, trying to save animals and conserve them and, uh, understand what their needs are in the wild. So, um, zoos are, are not just about, uh, they're not just about tigers, are they, Joe?
0: No, not at all. And we had, you know, aside from international trips, um, to, to go work on these projects, we also had local trips and it's connecting, you know, not only with folks abroad, but bringing that conservation message here, home, um, here in Indiana. And so we had a project at, at Fort Harrison State Park where we did reptile surveys and and um, did some trapping to kind of compare um, reptile uh, species and abundance um, across different habitat types. Um, oh, and wow. when you start asking questions like that, this goes a lot further than changing water bowls and feeding animals, which is, um, or cleaning up after them, which is in a lot of ways, what a lot of people think zookeepers only do. Right. So, you know, to have those experiences, you know, it's as a zookeeper, you're like, I want more, how do I get more? (laughs) And, and sometimes, you know, I, I didn't really want to go back to grad school, but grad school became inevitable for, for fulfilling, for fulfilling that and, and trying to find a way to get more you know, of those experiences.
1: Excellent. I also have to filter out a refrigerator from this as well. Right. So, <laughs> so okay. So that was, um, now. I appreciate that background because it sort of sets us up for what we're really going to talk about. And that's the uh, what Adaptation Environmental is up to. And one of the things, uh, basically your 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 company is an environmental consulting company. So you do a lot of biologically related work in the field, uh, contract biology, correct?
0: Yeah. So, you know, from, from the zoo, I went to graduate school from graduate school. I went to, I moved to to the state of Colorado with the state of Colorado. I started working for the city of Fort Collins, eventually the state of Colorado, um, and, you know, working for agencies. And so having a nonprofit experience with, with Indianapolis Zoo to government experience at different levels was, was pretty influential and really helped kind of shape my mindset and my ethics on how, on how we operate. And so um, in 2012, the Colorado State Land Board asked me to um, come work for them but be a contractor. And they said, set up your LLC and let's go. And that's really when Adaptation was born. And so I worked with that agency um, for a few years. And then um, one of our good friends, Tim Warfel, inspired me and said, hey, have you ever thought about choosing the projects that you do rather than having somebody else choose them for you? And that was pretty influential for me. And, and it really turned me on to kind of thinking about well, where are my values, where are my ethics, and how do, we, how do we take, you know, what do I think is missing in the field of conservation and how can I impact that change? And so um, that really led to what adaptation looks like today and will certainly influence where we go in the future still.
1: Well, give us, uh, uh, you know, the 10,000-foot overview of what some, yeah. of, the, some of the projects. Uh, you, you're doing some uh, survey work.
0: Yeah, so so adaptation, um, we're really focused on creating positive experiences with wildlife. And one of the ways we can do that is um, we work with the state of Colorado still, and we work with Colorado State Parks. And um, one of our projects lately is to work on a brand new state park called Fisher's Peak State Park down near Trinidad, Colorado, and it's a 20,000 acre uh, park between 6,000 and 9,000 feet. And we want to go down there and, and we're, we're finding, um, where the herps are at so that park managers and park staff can help protect, uh, important areas where, where amphibians and reptiles are found. Um, and then also we want to share the excitement of our finds. Um, with those, w- with that staff so that they can be excited about what we found and they can be excited about the pictures we're sharing and that when they view our report that we do at the end of the project, you know, maybe they flip through a few more pages than maybe what they would have uh, otherwise had time for and, and, and do that. So I
1: see. So you get to, you get them to, to buy into the project, yeah. um, by, in, you know, letting them under, um get a taste of what's out there well, we're instead all, of a dry report.
0: We're all partners, right? So right. even though we're a contractor, we are agents of the state of Colorado in that capacity. And so, you know, we want to be team players and we want to make sure that we're providing information that's important for amphibians and reptiles. Um, and we want to share that information with park managers who may have a background in law enforcement, may have a background in natural resources, but we want to cover that information um, in a way that's meaningful to them so that they can take that information, insert it next to bird reports, um, rare plant reports, habitat reports, and they can understand how this larger resource stewardship thing um, can come together to so that the park can function with recreation and natural resource stewardship all at one place.
1: I see. I see. And so uh, you're identifying not only – the animals, for example, in, in this park, this new park, you're not just ex- identifying what's found there, but maybe what types of habitats are present and what you know, things like uh, breeding breeding uh, ponds and hibernaculums and things like that?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we want to know um, where the frogs and toads and salamanders are breeding, um, but we also want to know if they're using any upland habitats uh, for foraging. Um, and then we also want to understand, well, what other species are they found near? Um, and and do that, you know, for not just amphibians, but also cover that for the reptiles as well. And when you start getting to elevations at nine thousand feet, um, things change, you know. And I I speak, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I I have some experience with that, and, and things do change. Right, and <laughs> and
0: it it can be snowy for large amounts of the year, and yeah. you have to wait for that snow to melt um, before you go out and, and find some things. And we, we were fortunate, we were able to just, you know, have a little natural history note, um, published in Herp Review, um, this past year about, um, uh, the Scaloperus consobrinus, the prairie lizard, um, found above 9,000 feet or, or right around 9,000 feet it was actually just below, but that was an important record, um, for that elevation record for the state of Colorado and, and for what's going on in the Southwest. To Interesting. That observation so we'll you know there's a responsibility to write up that stuff as you find them and so we we want to take care of that and make sure we're, we're representing our partners in that sense as well so yeah so we do that with partners like state parks um we also we work a lot of um you know rattlesnake safety and mitigation and um, so we will do research with partners in the area with, you know, one of our partners from several years ago was Jefferson County Open Space, where they were looking at adding new trails, um, and they wanted to know where rattlesnakes denned and um, where their rookeries were. And so we went ahead and uh, worked with our our veterinarian, Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald at VCA Alameda East um, to implant radio transmitters and then... We work with um, highly trained volunteers to track those rattlesnakes throughout the year, um, and and gather that information so that we can provide that information um, to that agency at a reduced price, and find a way to get that information so that they can make a you know conservation minded um, land management decisions to help aid that you know that species, but really help with public safety as well.
1: Yeah, it's like a, a. There's two parts to this, right? We want to put the. And I was just. I, I just talked with about this recently, but a couple people. Number one, with uh, uh, my friend Kyron Leaker, we t- discussed this briefly, and I also talked uh, briefly about this with uh, Mister Andrew Dubois, and uh, the same thing. And you know, the idea is that you want to put the trails where uh, where the snakes are not. Uh, if possible, where they're not, you don't put the trail next to a hibernaculum, uh, that kind of thing. So you want to minimize these encounters that might disrupt uh, the natural rhythm of a snake moving to a hibernaculum or coming from a hibernaculum or something like that.
0: Yeah. And a lot of this is how do we minimize the negative experiences? Um, You know, snakes can be startling to people. So sometimes maybe we want to We want to control that interaction a bit. And so we also want to protect the resource. And so there's a lot of things going on, um, within that picture where, you know, to have sufficient recreation in Colorado, where there's an, a lot of outdoor recreation, we have to make sure that our resources stay safe. We have to make sure that the general public stays safe, not necessarily in that order, um, but we also have to make sure their pets stay safe. um, when they're visiting these properties, when they're visiting wildlife homes, And so um, there's a lot going on there. So, um, but at the same time, we want when the public does come across um, a rattlesnake, you know, prairie rattlesnakes are game species in Colorado. They're not, they're not threatened or endangered. There is a hunting season on them, but it is something that people are going to interact with at these open spaces. And we want them to have that positive experience with them and, and make, Make decisions that are safe for themselves. Make decisions that are safe for their pets, um, other family members, and and be able to recreate and use these parks sufficiently. Um, meanwhile, you and I and 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 others in our in our group definitely are rooting for the snake as well, and we want to make sure that those snakes continue to be there for as long as they possibly can. Yes. So this is this is reality based. It is, it is, it's, it's complex because even though I am biologically and ecologically trained, you know, I, I really have to think about this from a risk management perspective. Um, and so this is, this is really about public safety, trail safety and things right there. And, And, and even though I have ecological questions, I want to ask a lot of times I have to really consider the public safety aspect of it first to be able to get that support to be able to move to to be able to move forward. And a lot of times then I don't want to necessarily pass that judgment, you know, like where, you know, I, I can be realistic. I know where snakes fall and and on people's love lists. And um they are not the the cute megafauna that that many of us around, you know, hear about all the times from our friends. We all have those experiences on social media where we get that no, 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 um, you know, kind of response. And I think we have to, instead of just immediately correcting that, we have to be good listeners of that first. And to be good listeners of that, we have to let that no come out. And then we have to, you know, hear what they have to say. And then, you know, be very respectful with how we choose to counter that information and that will create better listeners, um, on the other side. And that's really what we're trying to do. Um, and it it can be tricky because we've had people yell at us before on a field site, kill all the snakes, you know, and you have to be, you have to just be like, okay. And then what? Yeah, (laughs) you know, and, and, and wait for their response. And sometimes they just, they keep moving. They don't respond. And sometimes they, they kind of come back and they'll make another joking comment, but then they actually start to listen. And I I think it'd be really easy to take offense to, you know, just kill all the snakes and, and we're uh, very sensitive about that stuff. Yeah. 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 And so it's too easy to take offense to that. And I I think we have to kind of work to kind of not not jump to, to conclusions so quickly and, and hear, hear people out. I mean, rattlesnakes, they, they can kill a pet. They can kill a human. We did have a death, um, in Jefferson County, um, several years ago. It's a very, it's a very real thing. And, um, for those of us rooting for snakes that we are absolutely not rooting for anybody's death or anybody's injury or anything like that. Um, and so we need to make sure that we convey that. Yes
1: uh well i we're going to segue this to i i think the the heart of of our discussion this or this morning it is this morning uh but but i want to ask you uh are you also looking at other organisms besides herbs? you know yeah contracts for doing some other work just curious about that
0: yeah we'll do we'll do contracts um in in other areas uh, where we'll we'll do some raptor monitoring, nest monitoring in particular, um, we've also done rare plant surveys uh, with with different federal agencies. We did a, a, a cactus survey um, over the winter a couple years ago with uh, the BLM down in southern New Mexico. Um, it's just it's fun work because whenever you're on the ground and and you're walking and you're seeing these things, it gives you you know, our, you know, our focus might be snakes, but this pulls us right back out into the bigger picture and the habitats that these snakes live in. And maybe some of the predators that eat these snakes and how to, how do these organisms fit all together? And, and, um, that's super fascinating to me. Uh, and that's, that's really where, where my interest lies.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a whole different, uh, uh, I mean, you know, cactus can't run away. It sounds perfect for right, me cuz yeah. I'm I'm built for comfort not for speed so I could <laughs> probably get some cactus. Right, right.
0: Yeah, so yeah, we we do um, we are selective about the jobs that that we take and we we want to be very we want to consider the clients that we're working for and make sure that they line up ethically. Um, with us. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't disagree with us. They can certainly ah. disagree with us. And, and, you know, and at the end of the day, of course, we need to pay the bills. So, so we have some flexibility on that as well.
1: Yeah. This um, is your, this is your, your way of life, your, your way of making a living. It's not it just is. A, an expensive hobby
0: right like, right it's like my mine. way of making a living and and some years are are better than others and and um just depending on what projects are out there and and what we're being asked to do um but um when you have lean years um there's there's a wonderful opportunity in that cuz it, it 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 gives you time and it inspires creativity and creative thinking and you know um my, uh, my earlier education training was in, was in music education and performance and, um, being able to to tie in a lot of those creative aspects and, and think of the big picture. Um, I, I take a lot of that musical training into, uh, aspects of biology, ecology, and conservation, um, and try to think of that, you know, entirely, um, as a whole. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful for that because I don't think I would be as good at my job without, without that experience.
1: So it, it makes you uh much more thoughtful
0: and a better listener to a better listener field. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well that, that makes sense. And I've, I think I've heard that from other musicians, uh, people with who have a musical background as well. So, and I, I guess, you know, the lean years too, you have, you have some, uh, um <laughs> you have a little one at home now, so you have uh, more uh incentive for um uh, Yeah com- becoming more creative and uh uh trying to avoid lean years since you've you've got a little wee one at home now and
0: Yeah. So I have a three month old and, um, I am relearning life, getting retrained and, uh, going through that boot camp, um, like all new parents do. And, and I'm, I'm very grateful to, to my wife and all that she does and including, um, allowing me to be here with you this evening and, and with the group this weekend to kind of, you know, hang out and, and visit some old stomping grounds. But yeah, everything is, is definitely with, with a, a slightly different perspective um than what it was before and with uh, renewed energy and vigor um certainly with her and and trying to make sure that i'm doing everything i can to support her
1: yeah so um and we also went to cuba together i just wanted to mention that because it was so cool that was really fun wasn't it yeah yeah. I uh, mean the, the. You, Matt and I, and some other people, yeah, Cynthia and some other, some other friends. Yeah.
0: The the music, the herping, the food. I mean, it's just, that's, that's why we do it right. They're just, yeah. all the people and combined with that culture is just amazing.
1: I've been thinking about that trip all week. Yeah. Uh, Cause I knew I was going to be talking to you. So I was think just thinking back on this trip and yeah. uh, it was, it was pretty amazing. That so. was,
0: that was one of my favorite trips that we've ever done together. You know, I've certainly, you know, from the first time we went to to Mexico together and, and, uh, you know, some of the other places we've gone to, uh, just, Cuba really stands out.
1: Yeah. Same here. I can't believe, uh, can't, can't believe we did that. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's, let's turn this conversation, uh, towards, uh, uh the, the main thrust, if you will. And we're going to talk about some of the, um, uh training programs that that uh, adaptation offers for uh, uh venomous snakes yeah and uh so give us a first of all how did how did you get into that were you uh did somebody uh did you come up with this and then offer it or did somebody say can you do this for us how did how did that come around
0: Yeah, well, a lot of it was taking this experience that I got in in the zoo and and really seeing a larger application for it and wondering why it didn't exist. And so um, I wanted, you know, I thought the experience was super valuable and I wanted to figure out a way to put it in the right hands um, and give more people that opportunity uh, to get that done. So that was really what inspired it. And so I thought about it for a while. Um, we started in 2009, we worked with Wyoming Game and Fish, um, and, uh, Zach Walker, who was the former herpetologist here in Indiana, um, uh, to, to initiate a training in Wyoming. And that's, that's really what started it. And then I did some trainings with city of Fort Collins, um, shortly after that. And then, um, we brought it on to some other partners from there. Um, but really you know, we had done a few more trainings and then several years ago, um, you know, one of the organizations that I've been really tied to since 2009 as well is park. Um, and you've talked to various folks from park, um, in the past, the partners in amphibian and reptile conservation. Yes. I'm I'm a very big fan. Yeah. And so I've, I've worked with the department of defense chapter of park. And, um, through that, um, there was a large, Education project um, where there were modules set up and and different things about herpetology um, that were going on, and we were asked to provide a video on venomous snake safety training and handling. And at that point, I knew that we had an opportunity to really help establish, you know, what is a national standard and you know really basics to do this. So we're not telling people you know, that already have venomous snakes, like, here's what you should be doing. We're not telling zoos here. Here's what you should be doing. What we're doing is we're talking to the non herpetologists, um, people that may have to interact with snakes and they're just not comfortable doing it. And they need some basic level of guidance on here's an acceptable level of skills that you should have. Um, and so in this video, we were kind of tasked with, with demonstrating this and, and we worked with, Um, several partners um, on this, notably the Virginia uh, Fairfax County uh, Parks Authority, um, and we worked with the Sternberg Museum of Natural History um, on this project. Which is in Kansas, right? Yeah, and we worked with several other partners um, to to really make this happen. And at the time, I really wrestled with exactly how to teach these techniques because – You know, being in the zoo field, I know what criticism can could potentially come that way, and like how to be respectful of of other professionals that are doing this, and like what techniques can we do that that everybody would likely agree with. And so, at that point, I collaborated with our colleague uh, Brian Shipley, who was at Denver Zoo at the time, and uh, he helps us out from time to time with projects. Um, in Colorado, I contacted him and I talked with uh, Mark Kazravi. And uh, in Virginia, he's a member of the Virginia Herp Society. He's also a public school teacher, um, and uh, he he works with different organizations in Virginia. And I said, "Look, here here are the techniques and that I think we should cover, and here's why." And we polished we polished that up, and we came up with this national standard that is you know, you can see it on YouTube. There's a, there's a YouTube link that, that, that you can just search, D-O-D-P-A-R-C, and um, they have a bunch of different videos and, and things that are there, and you'll come across Venomous Snake Safety and Handling, and you'll come across our, the second video that we worked on them with. But that Venomous Snake Safety and Handling was really the, the key, and it was really one of the, the key starters of, of, our, of our most recent iteration. So yeah, the,
1: the folks that, that, uh, would benefit from this training are, um, as you know, we did a little chat about this beforehand, before we did our recording and we talked about, you know, the, the botanists and the archeologists, uh, who are in the field and will run across a venomous snake and, uh, they need to know what to do and they may not have to remove a snake or put a snake in another location. There's all kinds of, of, uh, permutations on that but there's also a, a, other professionals if you will out there that would benefit from this training like first responders and 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 uh, other folks like that is that is that correct
0: yeah for sure and we've we've worked with um energy companies we work with other industry professionals um that uh you know Maybe you don't really first think about as as partners in snake conservation, but these people are first approaching us, and they're saying we have safety issues, and we need to help. You know, we need to help our staff remain safe, and we need to address those safety issues. and And we work we work from there um, to kind of to kind of go with that. And I, I think this is really kind of a good point to maybe bring in Matt. You know, because you know, with, with Matt Cage as as a law enforcement officer in Colorado, but also a law enforcement officer with a natural resources degree and somebody who loves snakes, like he he totally gets the risk management side of things and and really impacting some of the some of the folks that we've been able to work with. So,
2: um, well, welcome to the discussion, Matt. Thank you, Mike, and it's always a pleasure to be on your honorable show. I uh, uh, listen to it every week; and really enjoy it. So, thanks. Thank, thank you for having me on again.
1: I know you're you're like you're like a bad penny. You just keep coming back. I keep coming back. I'm
2: sorry about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're you're involved with this effort too. You've done you've done some training. In fact, uh, you and Joe just recently did uh, some training in California. So.
2: Yes, we did. Uh, we did a uh, really good class in California, some great students, uh, first responders, firefighters, and U.S. Uh, government uh, personnel. And by government personnel? Um, uh, uh, U.S. military, people who okay. track, um, who manage large tracts of, of U.S. government land, uh, various various different... Okay.
1: So, the DOD, Department of Defense. Correct. correct.
2: Okay. Yeah. Biggest land manager in our country have huge tracts of wildlands that uh, they need to manage okay
1: so uh, when you go to these places and you you've, you're going to teach them like joe talked about this video and you guys are on the spot you're not going to sit them in a chair and say watch this video you, you're going to do some some what we call a live fire exercise right you're going to do something a little
2: more closer to home with them yeah we try to make the classes very dynamic and entertaining um there is uh, well, a bit of a classroom portion. Uh, then we'll have, uh, ideally some snake identification and which is, uh, directly depending on where they are. So, you know, if they're in California, in the deserts of California, we use the the snakes that are in that, that area as opposed to Colorado or the Southeast U S we, we, uh, we teach to the region for where we are. So, uh, you know, we, we take into consideration where we are and as to what we teach so uh, okay and and uh, so
1: live for if you're live snakes are involved
2: yes we uh, we use live snakes preferably uh, the venomous snakes that are local for the areas that we are
1: okay and so uh, you and Joe uh, or you and whoever are doing this are you're not going to get on the, the airplane snakes on a plane folks you're not getting on the airplane with uh, a rattlesnake you're going to uh, legally get a uh, borrow some a snake from some facility or from some person who it's all licensed and you know all above board is that correct
2: yeah we have to follow the local regulations and uh so we'll do that and each state is different so we have to do the research on each state on on what we can do and we make sure we follow follow the laws and regulations and alive there's nothing like a, a rattlesnake in a
1: room to get people's attention
2: yeah and and especially I mean we're teaching all sorts of uh people from different tracks of life you know firefighters and people from law enforcement and, and and biologists and I have a I have a wildlife biology degree I went through that degree as part of my school worked without touching a live reptile so uh, that's t- amazing uh, yeah so so people have biology degrees wildlife biology degrees wildlife uh, and natural resource management degrees, and they have not touched a live reptile. So, we're we're here to help those people to learn how to safely manipulate uh, and identify snakes, reptiles, venomous snakes, and uh, and what to do when you are are tasked with possibly moving one.
1: Yeah. So, and that's that's probably the. That's the key. That's the crux of, of the whole thing is the fact that you may have to move one. Correct. Uh, we're, we're not talking about killing them folks. We're not talking about, you know, none of that's, none, none of that's what you're involved with. It's involved with, uh, uh, separating the snake from a situation or, or, you know, that, that sort of thing without damaging, you know, any harm to the snake or
2: harm to anybody else. So, yeah. And, and as, as Joe said earlier, it's, it's risk management. So we're trying to help. We want to, we want, to keep the people safe. We want to keep the employees safe, the, the public safe. We want to keep the, the rattlesnake safe or the, the snake safe. And uh, so we, we try to help with that. And so we want people to learn how to safely identify, figure out if you even need to move the snake, if there is a need to manipulate the snake. And if the, if they decide there is, how to safely do it. And, and execute the, the, the move. Well,
1: that's a good point because I, I assume there's going to be situations where you encounter a rattlesnake and the best thing to do is just walk away or come back in an hour or, or something like that, right?
2: Yeah, and we don't necessarily teach those things because it really depends on what uh, what the, the the employee's job is. Uh, job is, and whether they they need to even move the snake or not. So we we teach them that it. I mean, we really teach that it's an option, and that okay. preferably you leave the snake alone. That's safest for everybody. But sometimes that is not an option.
1: Right. Okay, and so then you teach them some safe. I don't want to say handling. That's probably not the correct word. Yeah, what we, is the word? What is the correct term?
2: I use manipulation. Okay. Uh, I don't use handling It's because yeah, we don't teach handling. We teach manipulation, how, how to move it and how to safely get it from one place to another.
1: And I'm also thinking, you know, um, you and I and most of the people listening out here are familiar with the tools of the trade and uh, snake hooks and things like that. But uh, if you're a botanist or, a, you know, a police officer or, uh, you know, a tank driver. On on DoD property, uh, you don't have a snake hook. Uh,
2: yeah, very. From what I've learned, is very few people have the the right equipment. Uh, so we also teach how to find and and purchase a a kit to have with you, uh, that you can use, uh, and you can make it pretty simple: a hook, tongs, a bucket, and uh, some some decent shoes and some leg protection.
1: Yeah. Okay. So it's
2: really all you need and and you can do all that for hundred fifty bucks
1: okay. I'm thinking, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking that when you present folks with this option, they're they're open to it. They're like, yeah, okay, it's uh it's another it's another tool. It's another tool set of tools and another toolbox that i I need for this job in order to to do what I do.
2: yeah, and we really teach to talk to your supervisors about the possibility of buying that equipment for for the employees. Um, The the supervisors obviously thought enough of this to send the the employee to the class, uh, to to get them the equipment that they need to do their job, if this is gonna be their job, is very important. So so we tell them to, to talk to their supervisors and better yet, have the supervisors come to the class and we'll tell them ourselves and, and yeah. teach them how to do it and tell them that they need to buy this equipment for for their employees.
1: So I'm curious, and uh, I, was, I was thinking about this earlier, but I'm curious about, obviously, you, you guys talk to folks from all different professions, but what's the reactions been? Do you get uh, positive? Do you
2: get people that are very apprehensive? Um, you know, we've gotten everything. We have some people that... That said, from the beginning that they weren't going to do this, that they're told to come to the class, and they didn't want to, they didn't really want to be there. Um, and I'll tell you what, by the end of the class, they were very into it and uh, and, and you know eagerly awaiting to see what the next snake is that we were going to deal with. Um, I've I've seen that before. Um, you always get somebody who says you know, who thinks they know more than, than you do, which is great. Um, and we listen to them and, and, uh, uh you know, usually they have a story or two about what they found around the play around, uh, around the, uh, the track of land, but, uh, it's, it's all good. We really, it's, it's for people that don't have a, a lot of experience, uh, dealing with, with snakes. And, uh, so the, the reactions is, is extremely variable, but, Positive, I would, I would assume. Yes, very, very positive. Um, I, I, we've never, I've never had anybody that came through the class and 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 with and was disappointed in in what we were teaching. So very, very positive. Our classes usually, in fact, uh, Joe and I usually say, "Hey, we'll we'll be here as long as you want to be here tonight to to make sure you get enough time with with these animals." And um, we've stayed two to three hours after our classes on numerous times because people just, they just want to stay and and get as much out of the class as possible.
1: So that's a, a good uh, indicator that you're doing something right. Right. I uh, hope so. I hope so. We <laughs> try to
2: make the class dynamic, entertaining yeah. um, and, and just overall a, a good experience.
1: And have you guys had folks come back to you later and give you, you know, feedback, months weeks later it's like hey i you know i'm i'm i was botanizing i was looking for a rare cactus and uh i came across a rattlesnake and i had to do something and and thank you you guys were, you know i did the thing that you taught me
2: for that kind of stuff for sure i'll let joe give the specific feedback but yes we definitely have that we have people that that uh continually give um give Updates on um, I, I get text messages all the time from Oh look I found this I look what I found and uh, I think this is a gopher snake Can you confirm Because I, I, I get my phone number to everybody so I get those texts all the time and uh, so it's it's pretty good I'm gonna let Joe talk about the specific feedback But
1: well, before you before you do I want to I want to just say that I love that aspect and and that's that those people they're not only I mean they're excited to to share with you that, hey, I, l- I was listening. I learned something and I applied it.
2: And I want you to know that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think we have a little bit of a connection with with the people. I mean, just the types of classes and and dealing with uh, government personnel in the military and first responders and biologists. And it, it's, uh, Joe and I can relate, and Brian as well, we relate to these people. and. Um, so we, we have something in common. They may not have the, the, the snakes or they may come from a bird background or, you know, they may be a firefighter, but you know what, we, we, we kind of all understand each other. And, uh, and I think that there's a, there's a bit of person to person, um, understanding and, and, and a a lot of mutual respect. And, and so we've, I have friends I've made from these classes. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome
0: yeah and to kind of follow up on that we yeah like what matt was saying is we we continue text threads i mean i had a text thread this week um from somebody that we worked with a month and a half ago um and that person saw something on social media that right away recognized it as this is inappropriate for so many reasons and and to be able to share that and say hey when you come out here next year for this course, use that, um, that image or use that page so we can share exactly what not to do. And so, you know, getting that kind of feedback that people recognize that is really good. We also worked, um, we, I had another rewarding um, interaction uh, earlier this, this field season where um, somebody that we had trained, uh, in a, in a more general, uh, herpetology course, uh, contacted me and said, Hey, I I found this, this milk snake and I'm, I'm pretty sure it has snake fungal disease. Oh. And I said, yeah, that, that does, that picture you sent me does, does certainly look like it. Have you reached out to your state, um, herpetologist? Have you, uh, do you know how to reach out to your state herpetologist? And so, and so he, he hadn't. And, and uh, we, I, I helped him through that. And we, we worked with our partners with uh, uh, Northeast Partners in Amphibian Reptile Conservation, um, Knee Park to um, one of the co-chairs there helped us connect with, with the right biologist um, to t- to document this this observation, find out if this milk snake record was was important um, to that state and and to really to really talk about what to do. And that that will lead to further discussion about maybe making it easier for individuals like this to kind of make these reportings. Oh, um, wow. and, and how do we how do we convey that even more? So again, like what we talk about a lot with education is awareness. And, and making people aware of these things are, are one of the huge efforts that we're that Matt and Brian and, and, and Mark and I are, are all trying to do. Um, and we know that o- over the years we've we've had a lot of impact and, and and one of the things that really comes through and one of the reasons why these people still kind of come back to us is they recognize that amongst you know myself, Matt, Brian, there is um, and Mark that there is a wide diversity of experience that covers well over a hundred years of professional experience in the, that covers field work as well as work in zoos um, and some some work in academia as well. And so um, that's you know, it's not by accident. Like this team, you know, we, we, we came together to work on this common goal of ours um to really make sure that that we can advocate for this you know the zoo experience um, in particular you know there's there's been you know published articles that highlight the you know the the really the safety aspects that come out of zoos um because of the fact that you have people that work every day year after year after year with tens or hundreds of animals um, and wide diversity of species Um, that you know might be uh, a local venomous species but also might be you know worldwide species and so bringing that experience to the table is is really key at the same time having somebody like Matt with extensive experience um, uh, internationally um, working in the field in South America and Central America um, going to Southeast Asia um, doing stuff all around the world Australia and whatnot like it's um, that that global experience, uh, field experience really lends itself as well to another side of the application. So we're not just teaching our perspective from the field. We're also teaching um, our experience from, from captive husbandry, as well as shifting from captive husbandry to field research. And all of that plays into um, an extensive amount of expertise that is really unmatched. And we're just trying to share that um, with as many folks as we can, um, you know, through these courses and that it's, it's having a huge effect and it's, it, we're not going to lie as, as exciting as it is for these people to get, to get this experience. It, there is definitely a payoff to us to see that the excitement and enthusiasm that these people get from, from these courses and knowing that we're making that difference. Um and doing it nationally, you know, not just focusing on one region, not just focusing, you know, on the southeast or or west coast. Like we're we're able to bring this um pretty much anywhere in the US. And so you know, one of the things, you know, I'll, I'll add to that, um, Mike, is that um we've we're we're now coming up with a way to have an online venomous course. Um and so um we have this course where we have an online segment that people can take. Um, and it's very similar to our classroom portion. And there's there's advantages um, to providing this for um, when we consider you know the diversity of folks that work, their accessibility to this course, and making this available to everyone. Um, and so we wanted to provide this course in a meaningful way to them um, to, so that they could get that experience, um, and, and be able to kind of go. And so this course is now available on our website, um, adaptationenvironmental.com. Um, people can click on, on our trainings and they can access this course. And that's something that, um, we're excited about. We're trying to get, we're trying to get this information to more and more people. And we're not telling them what to do with snakes, um, or not telling them, um, you know, what to think we're just trying to give them information so that they can make the best decision for themselves, for their agencies, for their families, so that they can, you know, operate safely around snakes and understand the full suite of options that they have ahead of them.
1: Well, that's, I mean, well put, um, you can't, uh, like you say, you can't preach and you can't, teach. you can teach, but you can't preach because you know folks uh, facts tend to bounce off people unless you're in you're presenting them in the right environment and they're receptive to them to them you can't just it's like the whole venomous versus poisonous thing where somebody jumps in and says well actually and then they they go off in a lecture about you know that da, da, da. we've all seen it
0: we've seen it dozens of times and when ultimately media. we're all just trying to say dangerous
1: <clears throat> yes exactly Uh, and and uh and so you you you're never going to win converts that way people aren't going to go well thank you very much for the you know they're they're gonna their hackles are going to get up and but if if it's the right situation and it's something that's important to them important to what they do I mean, they may not even know when they walk in the room like you say because some people are like totally against it they're there because their boss made them but somehow along the way you guys open their eyes a little bit or you, you make them look at the world maybe a little differently when it comes to venomous snakes or just snakes in general.
0: Yeah, you know, we've had people that have, um, they've called us a week in advance of the class and they're saying, my boss tells me I need to take this class um, and I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with snakes, but I'm the main guy here on this property that would respond to a snake call if it came up. And so I'd be like, well, I think it's really important that you be there. He's like, yeah. He goes, well, I just, I don't want to, I don't want you to be that person that, that throws a snake at me and says, here, go get it. You know, like, I just don't respond well to that. And I said, we don't do that. You know, I, I say, we really talk about what's going on with snakes. We give you all the information first. And as you're listening to that information, if you don't feel comfortable with when we get to the live handling portion, you can step out at that point, or you can just watch, you can observe, you don't have to do anything. And I'm like, but come for the classroom portion and just take it step by step. All right, during that portion, we build a lot of trust. And, you know, even with, with what Matt was just talking about, our, our, our recent course with the military um, and some of the first responders that served that base, um, we had several firefighters that did not feel comfortable with snakes and they were out there doing this stuff and they were they were out there doing this training and to overcome a fear like that is is crazy it's it's one thing if we're marketing to other snake professionals and we're saying hey come out here and take this course you know like like those are people that are already invested and already interested but a lot of the folks that we work with almost in every class we always have somebody who is less comfortable um, and working with snakes and really uneasy. And by the end of the class, we have boosted that confidence and, and, and started to help them overcome a fear and to be able to feel like they can competently manage that. Um, that's a big deal. That's a super huge deal. And those are, those are our huge victories. Um, and that's really what our, that's what we're going for with every class is to, is to make that impact. Um, And make sure everybody feels empowered we're not telling them to love snakes um we hope they will but we're not telling them to love snakes we're just giving them tools to deal with snakes
1: okay very good it it sounds like uh this is i mean obviously your company does other things to pay the bills you can't there's there's not enough of this training this type of training to, to to meet every every need of the company so this is sort of a portion of what you do but it is it a, is it a, becoming an important part of what you're you do?
0: Yeah, so we we've always focused on the training and and the safety um in the past you know for the past you know 11 12 years this has been something that we knew would take some time to build. Um but we do, we still work within this realm and so through herp surveys um, whether it's at state parks or other agencies, we'll talk about things and we'll, we'll talk about snake safety. We'll remind, um, the, the team that we're working with, you know, here's, you know, th- this is the way things need to operate when we're all, when we're on the field site, our partners need to understand how we're operating. They need to understand our snake bite plan um, and our emergency protocols they have to get all of that together and 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 so that so that everybody's confident that we can carry out this work and be safe um, in doing this and so um, but yeah we do snake research because we do need additional income, not just you know from the training um, you know we're you know, we're like everybody else. We're just trying to, trying to pay our bills and, and, and live the life we want to live. And, um, you know, this isn't making us rich or anything like that. We're just, for us, it's about getting that message out there. And, you know, if I'm going to go do a cactus survey in New Mexico, because that can help me do another training, I'm you better believe I'm going to do that training and, or that cactus survey in New Mexico to make that happen. Gotcha.
1: And, uh, Matt, are you, what, what are you into this for? I mean, I, I, you mean you must have some, get some personal satisfaction from this work.
2: Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's, I mean, I've been working with Joe now for for quite a few years and been doing these, these classes and uh, I, you know, I enjoy it. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a herper by, uh, you know, in my time off and this is a way for me to be productive Um, and I, I feel like I'm being good for, I'm doing some good for the snakes and for the, the first responders or whoever we're training. Uh, I I feel like some, we're making a difference and we're, we're saving some snakes, maybe save a snake bite here or there and, um, and doing some good work and, uh, uh, to hear the success stories that come out of it is, is pretty exciting. And to, to make some friends along the way and to turn some people who, maybe don't want to have anything to do with snakes, but have to, uh, into being at least comfortable and competent in identifying a snake and doing their job. It's really satisfying. And, uh, so, and I've, I've seen it happen. So, uh, uh, some of the people that we've gone that have come to the classes, we've gone, uh, you know, out with a flashlight at night, and, uh, looking at toads, um, you know, depending on where we are, we go out, we take them out sometimes. And, um, it's kind of fun. You know, people are interested, they're interested enough to want to do this on their off time. And, uh, like the three of us do. That's and, pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. And, uh,
1: and it's funny, it's hard for, you know, most of the people I talk to have some sort of give back program going, and this is a give back program, you know, and it, just recently talked to Kyron Leaker, and she's she's doing these moth surveys overnight, you know, in state parks, just to give the state park, you know, their their uh, a, a decent moth list. Here's what here's what you have. It seems like a lot of people are just involved in 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 giving back because they feel like it's important. Uh, whether you know it's it's you know surveying for stuff or or like what what you're doing. So it, I just I think that's um, that's one of the things about the folks that uh, the circle of people that i uh, interact with in in this i'm gonna call it field just this, uh, this interest in amphibians and reptiles so many people doing so many things like that it's just kind of interesting and this is just one more and this is a, a pretty cool to me it's a pretty cool one because your your clients are cold you know <laughs> you're you're not coming at this uh, trying to uh, bend the mind of
2: an eight-year-old
1: you're you're it's a
2: challenge right i mean uh, it's, it's certainly a challenge, but you know, we, we come in with people from all different walks of life and with different attitudes and, um, and hopefully by the end, we've made a difference and, uh, and they may not be herpers, but they're, uh, they, you know, learn, learn something that day and, uh, you know, are definitely more comfortable than they were before they came to the class.
1: What kind of, what kind of rattlesnake did you have for the, the Southern California
2: uh class. we had a diamondback rattlesnake we had a uh, a speckled rattlesnake we had a sidewinder ah so
1: okay yeah so. We, try,
2: we hit the gamut of uh, of what they're likely to find
1: Wow so everybody in that class can at least identify three
2: of the most common rattlesnakes in the area yeah and we we covered even more than that as well sure so with, with uh with photos. It's one thing to look
1: at a photo, but it's another thing to see that sidewinder, yeah, right there, up close and
2: personal. Yeah, and we were right in the heart of sidewinder habitat too, so oh yeah, it, it was okay. uh, it was really good. And and sidewinders are a little different, as you know, and uh, yep. than than some of the bigger rattlesnakes. So it was really good for the people that hadn't seen them or heard about them to to see. And and there, it's different to manipulate those as opposed to the, some oh, yeah. of the other rattlesnakes as well so oh yeah it was really good
1: i i'd almost i'd almost rather manipulate i love that word i'd almost rather manipulate the the larger western diamondbacks they're just a little easier
2: perhaps to work with than those those little flippy uh, uh sandbusters certainly you know? certainly and uh, uh just they move differently and a yeah. little slower than the than the uh uh, than the sidewinders.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, guys, is there anything that we talked about this a little bit beforehand what we were going to cover? Um, is there something we haven't covered yet about this, this aspect of what adaptation is doing?
0: Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'll try to, I'm trying to think about that. I, I mean, you know, the main thing is, is that our experience group is really trying to get this experience out there. And we're not just trying to hang on to it ourselves or for for our own for our own selfish reasons. Um we've had, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of experiences um, with venomous snakes over the years and very positive experiences. And and we wanna we want other people to have that positive experience um, and that safe experience. And and for a lot of these courses, it is it is learning about the snakes. It's also learning about the tools and practicing with the tools and, and how to use those tools um, because I think we see these tools on TV or we see them used in videos, but we don't realize that what a snake feels like out at the end of, of you know, 40-inch tongs. Um, or a hook. And so giving people that experience in a controlled environment to do that and, and to to feel that before they have to go out and maybe do this in the field is, is exactly the right way to start them.
1: Yeah. Um, because when they're doing it for reals in the field, they're able to concentrate on the task at hand and not the what's actually the experience they're having.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. We want, we don't, at that point, we don't want them to figure out oh, the tool should feel like this and the tool should act like that and the snake should feel like this. They've, they already know that at this point. And so when they go to the field, they can go to the field confidently and stay focused on on the animal. Or in the case of folks doing home removals, because um, we work with a lot of folks that do, that do home removals, um, and we'll train them, uh, folks who are permitted by the state. Um, we're not just sending anybody out there um, to go do something, these are people who are who are licensed um, operators to go out and and manage that wildlife. We train them uh, through some of our national partners as well to make sure that that they can manage copperheads in the home, manage um, a timber rattlesnake in in a wood pile or something like that out out in in Virginia, like a, a recent course we just did. And so, um, it's super important to be comfortable not only with the animals, but be comfortable with the tools and have a plan. And we talk through these plans very carefully. And and that experience that comes from everybody is really really what pulls this course together and why it's a really nice, neat package um, that we are able to efficiently deliver um, in a day uh, or with the online course um, that can be taken at at the student's um, own progression you know and how fast they want to go through and so that way we can we can make this experience more accessible so at the end of the day that's what we're going for and it we know it's working we it's it's been working great we know that it's it's been been emulated in, in several different ways and and we're excited to see that that people are are excited about it and want to get it out there and 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 do that and so we're we're very very' lucky to work with the partners that we get to work with, Um, not just, you know, the four of us, you know, myself, Matt, Brian, and Mark, but also the other assisting instructors and other assisting partners in each state. Um, And to really pull this off is one of the values on on why I participate with with, uh, partners in amphibian and reptile conservation and why, you know, this, this works is being able to take this to a national level and understand how to use that network. We're super fortunate. So I can, I feel comfortable going to most states and, um, and, and being able to successfully pull off this course. And, and, and we have, we've, we've done it in a lot of places. Thanks yeah. for having us, Mike. It's been, it's been a lot of fun to, to talk about this, to share the excitement we've had over the years. We generally don't kind of boast about these claims. We, we, we're very sensitive about our clients and their privacy, but we are doing really exciting things with conservation. And we felt like this, this podcast was, was the podcast that, that needed to hear other ways that people might, um, impact snake conservation and thinking outside of the box. Um, you know, doing surveys is, is super important. Um, making publications, um, conducting research, all this stuff is great. But there's some really on the ground conservation things that I think all of us can do, and and certainly all the folks in your podcast um, really show that. So it's it's a it's a treat to be able to share our experiences alongside those.
1: Oh, well, well said. Uh, and the human element in that, and by humans I mean muggles who don't do this. <laughs> you know, we've, we've talked about our pet names for folks that don't, aren't involved with this, but they're always going to be there. They're always going to have needs. It's always going to be part of the equation. Right. Right. Unless we just, we don't live in isolation. The herps are, you know, uh, the way this planet is, the herps are always there. The people are always close by with rare exceptions. And so they're always part of the equation.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You always have to factor in people. That's, that's any part of conservation. I think a lot of times many of us will joke, Oh, I work with wildlife because I can't stand people. But if you're going to be good at working with wildlife, you have to work with people and you have to be very savvy with people and you have to be able to, you have to be able to listen to them even when it hurts sometimes and hear them out. Boy, it hurts sometimes. (laughs) It definitely does. (laughs) Okay. Before we
1: close out the show, uh, I just want to. I want to say, uh, you know, we're actually we're actually here in Indiana. We're gonna do some herping tomorrow, and hopefully, we're gonna come up with a couple things that uh, you guys. Uh, you've you've lived here, Joe, so I think you've seen most of the herpetofauna, if not
0: all the herpetofauna in in Indiana. I've seen a lot of it. I have not seen all of it. So yeah, okay. I'm looking forward to to just getting out and revisiting some places.
1: All right, Matt. What's on your agenda?
2: Oh, geez. Um, you know, it's funny. All the travel I've done worldwide uh, and in the U.S., I, the, if I have a void of area to fill in, it's the Midwest. And uh, so uh, I've actually. We I, are
1: the flyover states.
2: Yeah, it is. You know, I'm always flying over. It's exactly right. So uh, here I am in Indiana. So I'm going to go uh, try and find Queen Snakes and uh, Kirtland Snake. So, we'll see if we can knock those off. Those are two I've not seen. And if we can knock those off tomorrow, I'll be I'll be very, very happy. And whatever I see, I'm just being in the field. It's been kind of a crazy summer for me. So, uh, just to be in the field with some good people will make, make my day and I'll have a great time. And uh, I'm excited about it.
1: Well said. Well, thanks for coming on the show, guys. It's good. It was good talking to you.
2: Mike, your show's awesome, so keep up the good work. And, uh, I shall. the best in the business. Oh,
1: well, thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, you know what? I think I'm ready. Uh, I I think my big steak dinner is finally settled enough that you know it's almost 1.30 in the morning. It's nap up, time. It's almost nap time before we get up and get at it tomorrow. Should so. we have a big breakfast? <laughs>
2: Let's have steak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Mike. Thanks again, guys. All right, take care. Have a good night.
1: That's it for episode 46. I want to thank Joe Ehrenberger for coming on the show, and thanks to Matt Cage for the assist. It was good to talk with you fellas, and uh, I think that's the swankiest hotel where I've recorded an interview uh, so far. And thanks once again to Ben Genter and all of my patrons for supporting this show. I'm grateful for your support, and the show could not continue without you, really. And uh, if you're out there listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so and so much muchpingle is all one word. And you can make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email at so muchpingle at gmail.com for more details on that. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at muchpingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests and other cool herbsters. And, uh, hey, feedback is good. And you can reach me directly at, via email at somuchpingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better.